Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Technology Leadership Podcast, hosted by TechSource, technology recruitment company specializing in JavaScript and product management recruitment across Germany. And the Technology Leadership Podcast serves as a platform where we interview tech leaders, like Lucas, who's joining us today, to discuss a wide range of topics covering both technology and leadership. And our primary goal is to empower younger engineering and product leaders by providing valuable insights and actionable advice to help them advance in their careers. So as I mentioned, today we are joined by Lucas Grillmeyer. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you very Hello. much. Hello. And Lucas is CTO at Craft Guide, a Munich-based startup. Lucas, please give us a, a bit of an introduction to yourself and Craft Guide then. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So my name is Lucas. I'm CTO of Craft Guide. I've been doing this for now about three years. And CraftGuide is basically a platform for digital learning content. So we do step-by-step tutorials in video, AR, VR, and then provide this content cross-device, cross-platform to your web application, mobile application, VR devices, and AR devices. And the special thing is that we bring together a lot of different manufacturers and brands in order to replicate the context that a real field worker is working in. So we want to help the worker in the field and on the side also make education of traditional crafts more a little bit more sexy, more digital, and bring our solution to that world. Nice. Well thank you very much for that. And we'll we'll dig into you know how you've been doing that a bit today. Now I'd like to actually start the podcast in your time before Craft Guide because you've actually had a bit of a unique and different experience. You know, you can think of CTOs, you think of software engineers, going to team leads, managers, or and then into a CTO or, or setting up their own company. Whereas you actually spent a good kind of eight, seven, eight, nine years in the space industry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which I think is, is very unique and what we've spoke about before. Please, you know, give us a, a bit of an overview of the space industry and, and kind of what you were doing there, as I think it's quite interesting. All right. I mean, yeah, you're right. So I had a little bit of a detour in the space industry by chance. So I did not study this. So I studied informatics in Munich, did my bachelor's and there and master's there, focused on robotics. And by chance, I found a working student gig at the German Aerospace Center, west of Munich at the German Space Operations Center, which basically controls the Columbus module on board the International Space Station. And my working student position there was to help them and help maintain a content platform. And well, basically was building a website there. But the context was really interesting of, of space and the space industry, which makes a lot of difference. So what did I do there? I maintained this content management platform for them. So had a lot of little tools there and managed their content and helped them to do rather mundane tasks, which were interesting because of the context. And this way I got to see a lot of the insights of how the flight control team of the Columbus project was doing things and how space projects are working and, well, how astronauts are working a little bit. 
So this was really interesting. And when finishing my studies, then I went to look for a real job. And I ended up again at DLR and found myself as a project system engineer for ground segments for research satellite missions. So there, this is like the, the other side of the hallway where the non-human spaceflight is. And we do a lot of research satellite missions, so flying prototypes. And my job there was to design and implement everything that has to do with the ground-based operations. So the satellite is a space segment and everything from the antenna to the computer systems to the software that the pilots or the flight directors are using, that is the ground segment. And in the end, the scientists just want to get their data and they don't want to be bothered by how operation goes. So, yeah, I mean, I went into this with pretty much no experience, as you probably know, that after university, you heard it all, you know it all, and then you go into a company and suddenly you know nothing. So you had to learn your trade again. And it was really interesting to, to see this world and how it works. And I kind of figured out that everything is really process-driven there. So as a ground segment system engineer, we set up our system and of course, we have to write some procedures, some instructions of how to maintain the system once it's operational. And of course, you validate all of this and use it on a day-to-day basis. And later on, I was really curious to find out how the application of all those systems that I built really works. So I was allowed to train for a flight director for two satellite missions and got to send commands to a satellite and do operations there on a day-to-day basis. And their process-driven world even increased, like everything is nailed down, everything is documented, and there's nothing up to chance because space is an unforgiving environment and everything is far away and really, really expensive. And if you make one mistake, then you might break something and will not be able to fix it. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, very interesting. I found that very interesting. And I actually could kind of go for that because you have big kind of space nerd here at TechSource. So, yeah, very interesting that. And what this episode of the podcast is going to be on, Lucas mentioned that being process driven. That's what we're really going to kind of delve into today. The benefits of it and how you go setting up processes in the company and kind of why you should be doing that. For me, you know, just being process driven all almost allows you to kind of go in auto mode. You know what you're going to be doing. There's no surprises. It's, you know, it's almost a checklist of what we're going to be doing. And, and for, you know, your time now at Craft Guide, it's, you know, we're releasing a new product. We know, everyone knows what we're going to be doing and when, instead of us not knowing that and, and kind of spending time figuring out what's next. So before we delve into that, though, I think it's quite interesting and, and something that kind of our CTOs is how did you actually find your current CTO gig? You know, we went from kind of flight director within space and satellites to a SaaS-based startup, which is a bit of a jump. How did you, you know, please tell the audience, you know, how did you actually find your CTO gig and what would your advice be to someone who is, you know, maybe an engineer looking for that first CTO gig or someone looking to go into a CTO role? 
All right. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually friends with one that of helps. the founders. So <laughs> we met at university in a extracurricular robotics project and we got along well and he liked me. So when he decided to build a company, they kind of asked me, hey, do you want to be our CTO? And at that time I said, no. So that was when I already had my contract at DLR just after university, I knew how much money I was getting paid in a startup. They had no money. They had nothing to offer. And I was like, okay, sorry, I, I'm going to space or the space industry at least. And I wasn't really convinced of the concept back then. And yeah, so I followed through my space journey. And after a few years, kind of routine kicked in, in the space business for me. Yeah, And I found myself like not wanting to repeat the same thing over the next 30 years. So I kind of went looking around and on one of these days I was invited to a keynote speaking position at the university and I told a little bit about my story and my friend Johannes was there who founded this company even without me. And he kind of told me that like, his current CTO is leaving because he had his own startup and is following this dream. And I was like, okay, now it's time. Now let's have a look at it. And if everything works out, then I'll consider it and I'll join. So I had a look. I met the team. I liked the team. The project or the, the product kind of pivoted a little bit from being this all engulfing VR encyclopedia, Wikipedia, let's put it this way, and to, into a platform that is made for the masses and not in this tiny niche of VR content. VR is still a big portion of our business, but the focus is on a scalable platform business. Nice. So yeah, that's how I found it. And to answer your question, how would I recommend people who are interested in getting into CTO positions. Gober startups are, I mean, there are incubators, there are co-working spaces, there's plenty of entrepreneurship programs that you can join just if you're interested. Like my university has it, it's free. You can join if you're interested, meet some like-minded people. And a lot of people have ideas and don't have maybe the technology background to really implement that idea. And there you can team up and make dreams come true. Nice. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, twofold from, from kind of the, a recruitment point of view, say, in, in kind of careers consultancy and, and also kind of helping you find the people, there's two points I'd like to mention there is, A, you never know what the future holds for you and you should always kind of make sure you put your best foot forward in relationships you're building at university, at work, because, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like, yeah, absolutely. You, kind of, you know, say if you had a disagreement at university or you didn't see eye to eye on something or you just maybe weren't that friendly at university, I doubt you'd be where you are today. And on the second point of that, you know, if you are a co-founder or a founder and you're building your C-level team or any people on your team, is you always need that bench of people that you can maybe draw upon in the future. So you should always have a few people that you're constantly speaking to that might be good for your CMO role, your CTO role, your product role. So then when the stars do align, you can bring them in. Um, yes, exactly. And that's quite 
quite a, a key point to make there. Now, let's kind of get into the podcast now. You've had your, your experience being a flight director in the space industry. You was there seven, eight years leading you know, satellites into space, which I find very interesting, to then a SaaS-based startup. How has your experience in the space industry, do you think, helped you at CraftGuide? So it was really interesting when transitioning into CraftGuide, where I came from this government research body where everything is really rigid and structured, and especially in the space industry where everything is documented and you have procedures, to a startup where there's, let's say, chaos, more organized chaos somewhat. So there's not a lot of structures there. It's everyone does a little bit of everything and people try to help out and pitch in wherever they can. And it's, well, for me, back then it was a, a kind of a shock because it's, it was, in my eyes, chaos. And yeah, so I tried to organize it a little bit and bring in processes or like docu- more documentation, let's put it this way, on the technology side. So I mean, when we did simple things as software updates, how do you do software updates? What steps do you need to do before, during, and after to make sure that everything is in working order and that you don't make any mistakes? And so we did this a lot in platform side, but also when it comes to business processes. Like, yeah, back then when there were, I don't know, four people, it was fine having no processes. And but once you grow and grow, you kind of see that people are asking the same questions over and over again. I mean, very mundane tasks as how do I buy something if I need something for my for my development? Do I just go somewhere and tell them buy it, or is if it's too expensive, do I have to fill out a form or something and make an evaluation that it's really useful for the company? Because I just buy stuff that I like, then will be broke in two weeks. So processes are not really locked into technology. They are everywhere in the company. And I mean, whenever you see something that you need to do again or that other people need to do, then you should really try to well, make instructions of how this really works. Nice. Nice. Thanks so much for that. And I think this would be a, an interesting point here is you mentioned you didn't really have any any processes or documentation in place when you were doing something as simple as a software update. From when you started to where you're at now, all companies introducing processes, what is your process now in doing a software update? And I'm uh, okay, advise, getting into what, the details. <laughs> yeah, we're getting, we're getting into the details now. What would your kind of step-by-step process be or team when doing an update? Well, kind of, I mean, you have your, have your releases planned beforehand. You don't do any ad hoc adjustments of the software or really late introductions. You have everything tested in the sandbox environment and in a production environment or close to production environment before releasing it. You are sure that it's going to work and 
you filled your packages, you um, announced what you're releasing, you made sure that the communication also to marketing is up to date so that the customer is also aware of what's changing in the product. Or if it's a new feature that needs to be advertised, all of this which needs to be synced. And um, once you are then in your maintenance window, then you can go ahead and do the update as a team and have everyone stand by to do some tests before and after so that also after the update, you can be sure that it really, really works. So before you go to bed, make sure that it works. <laughs> yeah, then it's cleaning up and testing, testing, testing also in the following day and write down everything that comes up even if it's just an inconvenience that you encountered. And once you're done, then everything should be fine. You should be back in a safe state, basically where you started, just with better, newer software. Nice. Actually, watch for that. And I think what you were kind of talking there really kind of resonates with me, something I learned as a kind of really getting into recruitment and just kind of management was the kind of six key rule of management where prior proper planning before taking action prevents poor performance. So essentially with the processes, you know, we're really kind of planning for everything to make sure the desired outcome is there with, with the update to make sure that, you know, the product doesn't stop working and, and your customers get annoyed that the product's not working. So thanks very much for that. I just thought it would be a, a good, interesting point there. Now, in terms of processes then we started talking about processes why is it do you think it's important for companies to be process driven and what are the benefits to a company being process driven well if you're building a company you want to build a system a system that works and what gives a system structure are processes so when all the processes work together and interlink then at some point, you have a system that can run by itself without you. And you can enable others to do the same thing. Like it's all about communication and knowledge transfer, but also about reduction of human errors or increasing the efficiency of communication. So that if people ask the same thing three or four times, that the answer is right there. They can find it themselves. And if they want to do something or need to do something in your absence that they are able to, like imagine if I get hit by a car tomorrow and cannot come into work, then I want to have built a system that works and that other people can maintain. And I don't want to be the gatekeeper to some secret knowledge. But yeah. So it's, it's, it helps you a lot. So, I said, no insurance for a reduction of human errors. Also, when you're executing a procedure, then you can really focus on the task of execution and not have to worry about the process. You don't need to think about, hey, what is next? Didn't I forget something? Because everything is right there. Everything is in front of you. And if you've validated your procedure, you're sure that it works and you can follow through step by step. And it's, it's ease of mind. And can be sure that the output is as you want it to be or as good as it can be. And you don't make any errors. Thanks very much for that. 
And I think what, what you kind of said there at the end is, is why we're doing this is to make sure there's no errors. And uh, a big, something pointed out there, and it's, it's, we mentioned it in our previous conversations as well. It's kind of, you know, hopefully you don't get a bike car or a bus tomorrow and you can go to work, but you want to create processes in your company. So you don't necessarily need to be there as a, as a CTO and almost kind of make yourself a bit redundant in the aspects. And I think that's quite key for people when they're building out processes, growing companies that you need all that information put somewhere, the process is written down. So yeah, if you do go off sick for a week, things don't come grinding to a halt really. Yeah, um, you want to have vacation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, love, I love vacation times. I, I don't think we have enough of it in, in our industry, especially in the startup world because when you're building a startup, it is just kind of every all the time you have it's go, 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 isn't it? And you sometimes even feel a bit bad for kind of having time off or you, you sometimes feel a bit, oh, I could do with another couple of weeks of being productive. But then, you know, when you're on holiday, it's a completely different story and you're happier there. I think that's just the, maybe the, the you know, the society we're in, in, in the startup industry or the kind of, yeah, the, the world that we're in, in the startup world that you need to be constantly pushing forwards. I mean, so, you have that kind of thinking that you just said that you're thinking about work even on vacation or couldn't have pushed vacation even further. This is a sign that you actually found what you're really passionate about, that you like your job and that's the right job for you. Well, um, I'll mention that to my girlfriend when I don't stop talking about work on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so we've spoken about the benefits of processes, what it can bring. I think that's very clear to everyone here. But how do we actually start going about setting up processes? So you've come, you came into Craft Guide, your first couple of weeks, this chaotic environment that you mentioned. From then to kind of where you're at now, how did you actually go about kind of setting up processes? All right. That's a very good question. So yeah, I mean, when you, when you think about processes, you should not document and process every nitty detail of everything we do every day, because writing processes takes a lot of work and it should be worth it. So we identify some tasks that might be worth it. So think about what needs to be executed regularly or What is really, really important not to get wrong. Otherwise, it could crash production or damage a satellite or something like this. Or think about whether this is a task that other people need to do in the future that you might give off to some other people. And when starting out, choose a tool. Choose a tool where you can document the stuff and share it with others. Ideally, you have some form of access control that only relevant can access or modify it. And you have some form of version control because once you validate your procedure, you don't want anyone else changing it without you noticing it. And we chose to use Confluence for this. Confluence is a very simple Wikipedia or Wiki-like software where you can just put in pages, give the page a name, put in a table, and then you go about and create your procedure. So what has, what does the table look like? The table has three columns. There's this step number, step description, and expected outcome. And for everything that you do, 
you write down these three things. Like what is, what, what is Europe currently supposed to do? How, where do you go? How, how do you access a certain things? Please don't write in passwords and procedures. There are password managers around there. And then document the expected result. Like is an LED supposed to be green afterwards? If it's not green, what should you do? And then you reference maybe a different troubleshooting procedure. But this one is for going forward. And yeah, I mean, then you have, of course, your, your process description beforehand. You have your preconditions that need to be met in order to execute this. Maybe a duration, how long it takes to execute a procedure. And yeah, I mean, don't expect to, to write a perfect instruction on the first go you can iterate upon it like once you do a task just try to document it with a bullet point list and then bring it to a proper readable format that you can present to other people like like it's a similar thing as you would go set up a presentation put in a little bit more effort and a little bit more detail if you know that other people are going to to read it And once you've created your procedure and think, yeah, I'm done with it. This is how it is. Then validate it. Like try to execute it yourself step-by-step. Step. And then the important bit, let somebody else execute it without you interfering. Like you can watch, but let them make mistakes and try to figure out why they got stuck, where they got stuck. And try to put this information into the procedure so that it becomes better. You iterate until this untrained person that is validating the procedure, of course, they have some knowledge of the problem space that you're working in. If they come to the same result, then your procedure is good. Then you can use it and it's validated. You can use it repeatedly. Like if, if you also know this process by heart, you should really try to stick to the procedure because humans try to forget things. We try to cut corners, skip steps, and then the element of human error comes back in. And if you use your procedure often and find that there are mistakes or things that could be done more efficiently, like feel free to update it and iterate it. But if the change is significant, then you should try to validate again. And of course, if you have to do it very often, try to automate it. And then this procedure is a really good guide of how to do the automation or if the automation fails, how to do it manually again, which is often forgotten. Like if you have something that just works all the time and for years it works and suddenly it breaks, then you have no idea how it works if you don't have documentation or haven't done it once in a while. Well, and then the important bit, at the very end, once you've built your system and have all your procedures in place, go on vacation. Take one week, two weeks, and see how your absence works with the system that you've built and If you come back and everything is still up and running and people were not hindered by your absence, then you've built a great system. Nice. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. So just to make sure we have 
not I've not missed anything there. And to kind of give a quick overview at the end, it's you know how we go about setting up processes, identifying some tasks that might be worth it, what needs to be done, executed regularly. Uh, is it a task that you know people could do in the future? So we're thinking about what to actually automate here. Choose a tool so you can document it. Document it. You mentioned Confluence. You know, even simple tools like you know, right? You know, Google Drive can be you know, I think used as well for this. And some form of version control, like you said. And then you have three columns in the table: step number, the step description, and the outcome. For everything, you write down these three things: what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, you do you know how you access certain things, password managers. So you document the expected result. Let some other person document it as well. And then actually start, you know, fill out what needs to be done step by step and then iterate it until an unpaid person can validate this and they can actually do it and they can actually get the same result and they can do it repeatedly. So if you know this process by heart, you should be sticking to this procedure. You mentioned, you know, we can stick, skip steps and can stick cut corners. Should, should no, you should try to avoid just. There we you should try to stick to the procedure and avoid cutting corners because humans are lazy. Like you yeah. try to do it not by procedure. Ah, I know this. I can do yeah. this yeah. by heart. Like but click here, click there, and then you forgot something and then stuff starts to break. There you go. And you yeah. see, hey, we have downtime due to children error. And well, that, you, I was just about to mention that and that I didn't get to this point in that my next line of notes was this reduces the element of human error. We update it, iterate it. If you have to do it often, we try to automate it. So we can do it manually. There we go. We've documented everything and then go on holiday. Exactly. There we go. Very good. And I think that, you know, not just in software or SaaS businesses, but we can look at this at any point in our lives that we've got to do, which I think is quite interesting. You know, I'm thinking right now already for my business, what we can be automating and what we can be documenting for you know, the time as we grow so you came into craft guide, you know, you learn about all these processes and structure in the flight in, you know, space industry. You come, you came to craft guide and introduce everything. We've been at craft guide a couple of years now from introducing processes and documentation. Is there anything you would do, you know, looking back, doing a retrospective that you'd maybe do differently? Not really. I mean, it works great. I can go on vacation. So we have had very little downtime. The downtime that we had was human error. Right. <laughs> I cut in quarters. And uh, yeah, I mean, what would I do differently? I don't know. It's It worked out pretty great so far. So uh, yeah. nice to hear. And so in terms of the whole process is what we've just discussed and it's really what you just mentioned, you know, the only downtime you've had was human error. So trying to reduce that aspect of human error in terms of the work that you're doing, updating things, releasing new features, et cetera. So I feel this has been quite insightful for me and hopefully the listeners. And we've almost come to the end of this episode. Short was we episode about processes. And what I always like to ask our guests, Lucas, is what are the challenges that we're facing now in technology? Within the, the startup ecosystem, within SaaS-based technology in Germany and also globally, what are actually the challenges that you think we're, we're seeing right now and the biggest challenges to us as business leaders? 
Wow, that's a really good question when it comes to current technology. I mean, everyone these days is talking about AI and we see a lot of products like ChatGPT and Stable Diffusion and whatnot. And there is a lot of insecurity going around. Like, what, what is it? What can it do? How can we use it, utilize it? And one of the challenges is to figure out the role of AI and how it's going to impact our business and our startups and our world. When it comes down to startups itself in the technology business, there's currently a little bit a lack of investment opportunities, let's put it this way. Like it's the current recession that we're starting, the inflation that is all around. Money is not as loose as it used to be, and you really have to put, make a good case for yourself in order to find investment. It's still there, but you have to work for it. It's, it's not being handed out. Yeah, I mean, what else from technology side? I mean, everything is moving into the cloud. I mean, this has been a movement that has been happening for the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, mm-hmm. slowly. And now everything is in the cloud and there are a lot of challenges coming with that. I mean, of course, you have benefits that you don't have to take care of your infrastructure, but also... Is it really worth it? Like, do you need to do everything in microservices? Is it maybe not better sometimes to build the monolith? I don't know. Everything is trying to move towards a a lending business. Let's put it this way. You don't own anything anymore. Everything you do is rented. Confluence is rented. You don't pay your subscription. You lose all your knowledge. AWS resources are rented. If you don't pay, then your infrastructure goes down. So this is kind of a a trend that has been happening in the past years, which is maybe worrying that you don't own anything anymore. And you have to take precautions for that to not fall on your foot. And what precautions have you taken then? Well, we do backups. <laughs> we do a lot of offsite backups. We regularly train how to set up our environment from scratch again. So that if it comes to that, I mean, it doesn't have to be a negative reason that you're changing. I don't know, maybe you want to change host providers. How would you move to another cloud provider? Or how would you host it locally, for example? And we have instructions for this. We have procedures for this. We are prepared and we are trying to build a lending business ourselves, to be honest, and it's difficult. Do you think that's part of the CTO's role is to think of things that can happen in the future and things that can impact your business and impact procedures and things to make sure if it happens, we we know what we're doing? Yes. I mean, this is... Probably something that is a disease in the the computer science community. Whenever you let a a programmer touch some software, they're trying to break it. They're trying to think, what can go wrong? How can I reach the limits of the current solution? What could a malicious actor do in order to break it? 
Maybe sometimes it doesn't need to be malicious intent. Sometimes a user just is cannot help himself and does something unexpected. And then you really want to have thought about this case and make sure that your system doesn't break. This is quite interesting, this point. As a CTO, someone that's process-driven, what would you advise other engineering leaders, CTOs, LSH co-founders to be kind of preparing for in case things you know go wrong? You mentioned cloud backups, you mentioned, pro- you mentioned programmers kind of touching things and breaking things. What would be, you know, the, the top four or five, maybe, you know, less, maybe more things that as a CTO, you should be kind of introducing procedures for to make sure if something happens, we know as a team how to manage this and how to overcome this. The big one is making backups and then also applying backups, because if you don't try to restore your system from a backup, then the backup might be worthless course, how to do software updates, how to properly test. I mean, there needs to be a procedure that you have to do following steps, execute following test libraries that you have and that you get ready for a certain point in time when it's ready for release. And then you have all your check marks and you just need to push the button and can have a yeah, peace of mind whenever some update happens. I mean, in general, you want to develop a culture as a CTO, a culture of creating processes and thinking about knowledge transfer. Because that's everything that that process is. It's transferring knowledge from one person to another or to the machine that you yourself or some other person can access it in the future. You don't have to reinvent the wheel again. And once you get this down, it's... It's really easy to build a system that makes very little mistakes and is safe and keeps up a service as with a 99.9% uptime. So, Thank you for that. I think, I think that's a good point to, to maybe finish today's episode on. And what as a CTO we need to be thinking about in, in setting up processes around to make our system safe and, and have a you know, closest to a possible 100% uptime. Any any last words, Lucas, you'd like to leave today's episode on? Well, when hiring, you try to get makers, not <laughs> doers. <laughs> you really want to have the mindset and the people for it that embrace it. That, that, that the difference between, how did Adam Savage put it? The only difference between screwing around in science is writing it down. And if you write stuff down, and document it, process it, then you are making your business a little bit safer, a little bit better, one step at a time. And there we go. I think that's a great point to end today's episode on. Well, thank you very much, Lucas. I think it's been very insightful and, and thought-provoking for for hopefully the audience, but also me as a business leader. What can we automate? Well, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You know, what can we automate? What can we build processes on? How can we secure our business for the future, if I go on holiday, if I'm sick. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I'm sure Lucas won't mind if you reach out to him directly or have any questions. Please leave us feedback on whatever platform you're listening to, as we're always looking to make the podcast better and more insightful for your listeners. 
But thank you very much for today. Thank you, Lucas, and take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye.